All right, where we are now, for those who've visited with us uh, today, we've been going through a series, get all these wires straightened out, a series through the book of the Revelation. Notice I didn't say the book of the Revelations, but it's the book of Revelation singular, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is in the series, Things to Come. These, uh, the majority of the book of the Revelation deals with futuristic events that have not yet transpired. We live right now in the Laodicean church age, which is found in Revelation chapter number 3, when the Lord Jesus is on the outside of the church and he's knocking at the door and he's not even able to gain entrance into his own church. And then we find that the church there at Laodicea represents a church age in which we live right now when the the Lord said, you're neither hot nor cold. I would rather have you either hot or cold, but he said, I will spew you from my mouth. That's where we live right now. What's the next event on God's prophetic calendar? What's the next event that needs to take place? Well, the next event that will transpire is imminent, meaning it can happen in a moment. As you've heard me say before, it can happen before the end of the decade, it could happen before the end of the year, it could happen before the end of the month, it could happen before the end of the day, it could happen before the end of the hour, it could happen before the end of the minute, it could happen before the end of this sentence. Jesus is coming back for his church, the bride of Christ. Now, not the building, the building will still be here. The building is a facility, it's not the church, it's a location in which we meet. But the ones who've trusted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, one day, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, we'll be caught up in the air in the rapture, caught away in Revelation chapter number 4 and then in Thessalonians, we'll be caught away in the clouds, and there we shall ever be with the Lord. Now, after that event takes place, like I said, it could happen at any moment. Nothing in biblical prophecy needs to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church to take place. You say, what about, hur what about hurricanes? What about earthquakes? What about tsunamis? What about famines? What about pestilence? Well, that's referring to the Lord's second coming when he sits down and places his foot on the Mount of Olives. That's referring to that time in the Matthew 24, the uh, Mount Olivet Discourse. So the rapture happens, and what happens after that? Well, that's where we are right now. Those who do, have not trusted Christ as their Savior will be left behind to go through a seven-year tribulation period. The events that I have talked about from the seals up to the trumpets and what will bring us to this morning is comprised of the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. It's divided into two sections. We have a seven-year peri uh, seven period divided into uh, half, which would be three and a half years. The first half being the tribulation period, uh, referred to as tribulation. The last three and a half years, the tribulation intensifies and becomes what we call the great tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. So that's where we are in the timeline here in Revelation chapter number nine. We are in the series of several sequential judgments that come in series, and they come in series of sevens. Remember the Lord Jesus goes to God the Father. He receives the scroll back a couple chapters back, and this, that scroll has seven seals. As each seal is peeled away, there is released a horseman or is released a judgment upon unbelieving mankind. 
with the seventh seal being peeled off the scroll to fully reveal it, will initiate seven trumpet judgments. Each trumpet is blown, and when it is, it will be another judgment of God on an unbelieving world upon those that know not God. Following will be seven vile or bold judgments. So where we are this morning, Revelation chapter number 9, and we'll begin reading verse number 13. This is the sixth trumpet, okay? We had seven seals, we have seven trumpets, so we're on the next to last, the sixth trumpet. In verse 13, the Bible says, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Verse 15. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, in a day, in a month, in a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 Thousand, And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jerketh and brimstone. The heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of the mouth issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. Now listen. And the rest of the men which were not killed by the plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils in idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. So this is the sixth trumpet, which will initiate the second woe. You remember the angel came through heaven on that first one said this is the there's three woe judgments that will intensify and there's a couple things I want you to notice about this this morning number one I want you to notice there is a release in verse number 13 a release the Bible says the sixth angel sounded now trumpets in the Bible are sometimes used to give an alarm and they tell of some impending danger seven angels blow seven trumpets each releasing or initiating a judgment. You notice in the verse there, it says, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar. Now it was the golden altar of incense that the angel offered the prayers of the saints. If we would go back and remember that from Revelation chapter number 8. Now from this same altar, a voice speaks commanding that four angels be loosed. Let's look at the second thing. Not only is there a release, 
But there is something that has been restrained. I want to spend a little time here. There's something that has been restrained. If you look in verse 14, it says, Saying to the sixth angel, and which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound, you ought to underline, circle, highlight that word, bound in the great river Euphrates. These are, thing, these are four angels that have been loose. Now, to loose means to loose a person or a thing. And it's referring to four angels. The first intro of these four angels is the first time that we come across them. And it's important that we don't confuse these four angels with the four angels that we've seen that hold the four corners of the earth in Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 1 and hold the seven winds. Those are different. These are not the same. And the reason I know that is because we talked about last week about those locusts that shall be released from the bottomless pit that have been bound there in the abyss and we have been protected by them from God until that point. And it's seen here the fact that I know these are not good angels. They are demons. They are devils. They are fallen angels. And the reason I know that is because the Bible says that they are bound. They are bound. The Bible divides in when Satan fell from heaven in Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel 28. When he fell from heaven because he was lifted up in pride and wanted to dethrone God, remember a third of the angels went with him, which where we get fallen angels when we talk about demons and demonology. So that's what they are. They are bound demons. They are so diabolical, so evil, so perverted, so destructive that what has God done? God has bound them in the river, the great river, Euphrates. Four angels bound in the Euphrates are the four of the most wicked and powerful of all the demonic fallen angels, demons, or devils. Now, you say, well, pastor, you said earlier that if I'm saved, then I don't have to go through the great tribulation period. And that is correct. You don't, if you're saved here this morning, you don't have to worry about the seven vials and the seven seals and the seven judgments. But I'll tell you one thing we can do. We as Christians should be very grateful that God has restrained some things. God has been gracious. God has been merciful. God has spared us from judgment. Now here's a couple things that God has held back or delivered us from. Now there's something you must understand as we live in the church age as we are right now. Do you realize the church, Christianity, true Christianity, and those who walk upon the face of the earth that know Christ, that have convictions and morals, and live the Christian life, we are known as a restraining force that is holding back evil in the world. Jesus Christ said of the Christian, ye are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Salt preserves. He said, ye are the light of the world. What does light do? It provides illumination. But one day, when the rapture happens, and if you're saved, the Holy Spirit abides and lives within the believer. And he's talking about a restrainer. That restrainer is the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you when you are saved. And when that rapture happens, 
And the salt, the preserving agent of this world that preserves the earth is taken away when the light of the world, the Christians, Christianity, are taken out of the world, then the Holy Spirit will be removed during that time and we will see literal hell on earth. You know today, people despised, they despise Christianity. Even in America, we were founded on Judeo-Christian principles and how quickly we are moving away from those, the values and convictions and morals and teachings of the Word of God. In fact, we see coming out of Washington and, and those, uh, those that know not God would love nothing more than to silence the church and silence the Christian and get rid of the Bible and take away that thing that stands in their way, which is the salt and the light of the world. Now let me tell you something about this world. The evil, the God-haters and the evil uh, politici politicians, they can have it. They can have this old world. Hey, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. <laughs> they can have it. But as long as we're here, we're going to stand on for what is right and don't minimize or think that what you believe is not worth it. We are the preserving agent of the world. And what will happen during that time, the Bible says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed. At that time when we are removed, God is... He has the restrainer here, which is the Holy Spirit of God that lives and abides within every believer. And one day that restrainer will be removed. But in the meantime, what is God? He has protected us. Now some people believe and hold the position that the Christian will have to go through the tribulation period. I'm going to show you two reasons why I do not believe that. Number one, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 10... The Bible says, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. God has protected us. God will rescue us by way of rapture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a couple other things God has delivered us from. He has restrained and bound and prohibited the four evil angels that are bound in the bottom of the Euphrates River, as well as those locusts that are found in the bottomless pit. <laughs> These bound, diabolical, evil demons have been locked away and we have been spared from them. You know, there's a couple things that God protects you from when you're saved. And thank God when you are saved, there's one thing that I can lay my head on the pillow at night and not worry about. I don't have to worry about if I was to die in the middle of the night about going to hell. I don't have to worry about that. You said, preacher, you ever been told to go there? You better believe it. But guess what? I tell them, I'm sorry, can't go. I'm sorry, can't go. Why? Because I'm saved. God's protected us and rescued from the...
flames of hell. Now what do we deserve? We deserve, we deserve judgment. We deserve hell. But God in his mercy and in his grace and the, in hell, would it be a shame for anyone to drop off a church pew or in America today to drop off a church pew or to hear the gospel and drop off into hell? Let me tell you something about hell. Hell was not prepared for human man. It was prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. It's not prepared for you. But if you reject God and you're not saved, there's nowhere else to go. Amen. This week I was talking to one of the students on the school bus and she said they're teaching us in school about religion and said they taught us there's three places you can go when you die. I said there's heaven, there's another place you go, a holding tank, and then there's hell. And of course, I said I, that's not right. You say, how do you know that's not right? Because that's not what the Bible teaches. There's not a motel between here and hell. There's no purgatory. You got one or two choices. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And all that hinges and depends on what you do with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not your religion, not signing a creed, not being baptized frontwards and backwards until the, the tadpoles memorize your social security number. Not good enough. Not going to get you there. You got to trust him. You got to believe on him. You got to repent of your sins. And God will protect you and rescue you from these things as well. Well, since we're having such a good time, I'm going to move on to number three. I want you to notice the river. The Bible says they are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now, that's significant. Now, sometimes in the Bible, when we're reading the book of the Revelation, there's things that we take literally at face value that it means exactly what it says. When it makes sense, there is a river, great river Euphrates, so we take that literally. Now here in a minute, we're going to need to see what it represents, okay? But we're going to take this literally. Now see, the Euphrates River is both the cradle and the grave of human civilization. It's first mentioned in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 14. It's mentioned as the fourth river near the Garden of Eden, and it says the fourth river is Euphrates. That's the first mention. Here's a couple of significant things about the river Euphrates as it flows out of the Garden of Eden where man was created, Adam and Eve. It is the place where the first sin was committed, there in Genesis chapter number 3. It is where the first murder was committed, Cain murdering Abel there outside the Garden of Eden. It is there that the Tower of Babel was built. It was there that Nimrod, a type and illustration of the Antichrist, remember they said we're going to build that tower up to God, we're going to try to find, build our own way to God, and that's ridiculous, right? You can't work your way to heaven, not of works lest any man should boast. It is the river that divides the east from the far west. It is one of the boundaries of, for Israel, Genesis chapter 15, verse number 18. It is where Satan's seat was in ancient times, according to Clarence Larkin. So you see the significance of the river Euphrates. Well, we have two books. We have a book in the beginning of the Bible, which is the book of Genesis, the book of origins, the book of the beginnings, where everything, it is the seed plot of the Bible, where everything's beginning. And then we come over here to the book of the Revelation. Everything's coming to a culmination. Everything's coming to an end. God's wrapping it all up there. So that's the significance of the river. The next thing that I want you to notice is there is a reservation. <laughs> There's a reservation. Look at verse number 15. It says these four angels were prepared for an hour in a day, in a month, in a year, for to slay the third part 
of man. Folks, these angels, they have a job, if you will. They have been reserved, bound in the river Euphrates, reserved for a t an exact time, an exact day of God's appointment. There is coming a day when God will permit these awful creatures to come forth. Those slain are no doubt incorrigible who would never accept Christ. See, God is strategically moving in the world at His own timing. God, we're not on our time, we're on God's time. God has His timetable. And God's timetable will be unleashed and will be strategically moved. We see it's God's Time. So they have been prepared for this specific thing. Now let me say this. God has a time for everything. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. Now when I was first saved, when I was in my 20s, I heard people, they would say, Well, for years, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, Preachers have been preaching that Jesus Christ is going to come, and they say, well, He hasn't came yet. But let me, let me give you something you can take to the bank. Jesus Christ will return. Amen. Just because He has not yet, He will. And the main thing is, you have to be ready. Now, with these four fallen angels, they come out, the, that brings me to the next thing, the riders. These four angels will be the leaders of an incredible army comprised of two, listen to this, 200 million. 200 million. I believe to be taken literally, this would be the largest army force ever known to man. Let me give you something to compare that to so you can see the vastness of this army that these four fallen angels are in control of. This will be the largest armed force ever known to man. By the way, this is not Armageddon. We had not got that far yet. In World War II, the greatest number that the U.S. had, you think about the German uh, offensive, the theater, the Pacific theater, all those who were drafted, all those who stood up and fought for our country during that time in World War II, the greatest number that the U.S., the United States had under arms was 12 million at one time. The United States, World War II, everyone they could call and draft to go to, to Germany, to go to the Pacific Theater, was only 12 million. We're talking about 200 million. Isn't it interesting that Red China, Communist China alone, uh, claims to have had a man and woman militia of 200 million, exactly the figure of Revelation chapter 9, verse number 16. Again, in 1980, Red China boasted of an army of 200 million men. Now, later will come a great battle, a final battle, that will come when every nation will come against God, when He comes back on a riding a white horse, we'll come back with Him, when He'll set up His thousand-year millennial reign. In fact, it says if we look ahead in Revelation chapter 14, the Bible tells us that great battle of that great day, comprised of all the armies that come against God, that will lose, by the way, big time, that in that day, blood 
will be up to the horse's bridle for a vastness and an area covering 200 miles. 200 miles. Blood will be up to the horse's bridle in that battle. But we're not talking about that battle yet. That hasn't yet transpired. Now we see the description of the horses and the riders. We see they have breastplates of fire and brimstone. The heads of these were of horses. Uh, they, the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, I should say. Now issued from their mouth was fire, smoke, and brimstone. Now what you've got to notice here is it says in verse 17... It gives a description of these creatures. Now look at verse 18. But these three, by talking about the, the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone that issued from their mouth, out of those three, uh, those three plagues, if you will, of those uh, three things, will a third of the part of men be killed. A third part. By what? By fire, by smoke, and by the brimstone which issues out of their mouths. One third by fire, smoke, and sulfur, brimstone. Let's bring this into perspective. Now I'm going to tell you, you can believe the Bible is true because look at this. When you, I want you to do this on your own, those of you that have an iPhone. I was sitting in my study last night. I said, I'm just curious because years ago, the population of the entire planet Earth was around 600 billion people. But in fact, as of 2019, the world population now is an estimated 7.7 .7 billion people upon the earth. 7.7 .7 billion people upon the earth. In a, in a little bit of change there. I won't give you that exact number. But notice that a third of the men are killed by the tail uh, that's issued from their mouth. Now remember before that 25% or one-fourth of the world's population was and will be killed during the fourth horseman of the apocalypse in Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 8. So we have, just going by today, now we don't know if this, if this is going to happen in a year, or 10 years, or even 100 years, but it'll happen. But using today's estimates when it comes to the population explosion on the earth, 7.7 .7 billion people that you look at the first, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse with the pestilence, and those that are killed, if we say 7.7 .7 times 25%, we're talking about 1.9 billion people are killed under the judgment of God with the four horsemen of the apocalypse with the seven seals. Actually, that's the first four seals to be technical about it. Now we come on down the road a little bit. We have 7.7 .7 billion people to be killed by what we'd say one-third or 33%. 2.5 billion people will die under this judgment. 2.5 billion people. So by this time, where are we? Seven-year tribulation period? We've only came halfway, three and a half years, and what I'm getting to is after all that time, if we use today's estimates of 7.7 .7 billion people and we subtract as we add those, just those two judgments together would be 4.4 .4 billion people. 
then left on the earth at this point, halfway through the tribulation period, will only be left half of the world's population killed or destroyed in one half period of the tribulation period, resulting in a population of 3.3 billion. Now I know some people, they think they're big and they're bad and they're tough and they're gruff. But you won't make it long if you're in the tribulation period. If you don't die of pestilence, if you don't die of disease, if you don't die being beheaded for the faith because you take the mark of the beast and you'll die because of murders and, and so forth, will be uh, taken care of. Now notice the last thing here very quickly is I want you to notice the resistance. You would think, you would think that after all this, that these people would realize there's a God in heaven and they would repent of their sins, but guess what? They do not. I want you to notice lastly the resistance. Look at verse number 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by the plagues. Remember, we're talking about those who don't comprise the, the, uh, the 2.5 billion that died during that time. We're not killed by the plagues. The Bible says, repented, repented not of the works of their hands. That amazes me. These are hardening judgment. The same sun, sun that, uh, you know, it, it hardens that clay, doesn't it? Repented not of the works of their hands. That they should not, there's a couple things here I want to point out, that they would not give up. It said they would not stop worshiping devils. This is idolatry. In fact, this is breaking the first and second of the Ten Commandments, not having any other gods uh, before you, and not having any idols. They would not give up worshiping devils. The next thing they would not give up is it says they would not give up, they repented not, in verse 21, of their murders. This is a violation of the sixth commandment. There will be violence through the tribulation period. There will be a ton of murders. They violate the sixth of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. The third thing they say, which I think is interesting in the day in which we live, and it says here, nor other sorceries. That's an interesting word, sorceries. If you was to go in the Greek language, the New Testament written in Greek, you would find that that word sorceries comes from the Greek word pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy. We talk about drugs. So there will be a large influence of drug use and abuse during the tribulation period. And let me say, there is a large majority of drug use and abuse right here where we live in Henry County, Martinsville, Virginia. Amen. Amen. So that's not too far off to believe. In fact, people will try uh, different ways, uh, widespread drug use uh, and abuse and drunkenness to try to eliminate and get out from under all these judgments of God. The next one that says they will not repent of their fornications. Fornication is sexual immorality. This is a violation of the seventh commandment of God. Nor of their thefts. Lawlessness will abound. This is a violation of another commandment, thou shalt not steal. So in conclusion, let me say this, give you a couple verses as we're winding down. With all this being said, if you're in the building this morning and you're not saved, there's something that you, ha you, you need to take care of and that you have to do. 
is the Lord Jesus said this in Luke 13, 3. He says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. I didn't ask if you made an intellectual decision about Christ one day. I didn't ask you if you, got, you think you got your get out of hell free card one day. But did, let me ask you a couple questions. Number one, were you ever under Holy Ghost, thunder, and light conviction by the Holy Spirit of God? And number two, did you repent? If you went off and made some decision and signed some card and shook the preacher's hand and you still live in immorality and you live in sin, you need to check up. Hello? How y'all doing today? Acts 17.30. He says, But now commandeth all men everywhere to do what? To repent. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2. For he saith, I have heard thee and accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee. means he's called you to him. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Would you stand with